everyone and welcome to another episode of the Peripherolite podcast. On this episode we're talking about a new blue plaque that is to be unveiled in London on Thursday the 20th of April dedicated to Marie Spartali Stillman. Rejoining us for another episode of the podcast is Jan Marsh, curator of the Peripherolite Sisters exhibition at the National Portrait Gallery in 2019 and Jan was also the curator of the retrospective exhibition of Marie Spartali's work at Delaware Art Museum in the United States in 2014. She's going to tell us a bit more about Maurice Bartali Stillman and her artistic career. And also very happy to welcome, joining us for the first time is Kathy Power, who is the English Heritage Blue Plaques Manager. And she'll talk a bit more about the history of the Blue Plaque Scheme and their new plaque to this Peripherite artist, Maurice Bartali Stillman. So hello to you both. Hello. Hello, Hannah. Thank you for inviting us. Oh, no, thank you both for being here. I'm really excited for this episode. And first, Cathy, I wanted to ask you, could you tell us for any listeners who maybe don't know what a blue plaque is, tell us a bit about what it is, and can you explain, also tell us about the history of this scheme and how English Heritage came to be involved with it? Yes, uh, thank you. Um, the blue plaque scheme was founded over 150 years ago. It's believed to be the oldest plaque scheme of its kind in the world. Um, the simple idea began in 1863, proposed by William Ewart, a liberal politician, that there should be some way of marking houses in London that had been lived in by celebrated persons. He wanted to make our houses their own biographers. So a blue plaque um, is a, for under our scheme, a round ceramic plaque that is inscribed with the name, life dates, key achievement descriptor of the person on the plaque, and if they lived, worked, or died in that particular house. And the scheme for us, we now have over 990 plaques on our register, and they are located across Greater London. So our new plaque to Marie Spartelli Stillman is our 995th. Wow, 995 plaques. I didn't realise there were that many in London, Kathy. Thank you. It's really interesting to know. And Jan, could you tell us a bit more about, so who is Marie Spartelli Stillman? Um, how did you come to be an artist in, and involved in the Paraphylite movement and part of their circle? Well, Marie Spartelli Stillman was born into the Anglo-Greek business community in, in London. And um, she, from a young age, she wanted, she wanted to pursue art. And this was a bit at odds with her wealthy background, because her father felt at certain stages that this would reflect on his ability to provide for his children, which was very much about masculine uh, pride and so on. But Marie was determined to, um, to pursue art in a professional manner. Very unusual for a woman in her position. Uh, her first painting pictures referenced her Greek heritage in quite a political way. They invoked heroines from classical mythology like Antigone and Corinna and so on. And then she moved a bit into British mythology with the, with the popular... Arthur and the Knights um, um, uh, cycle from British history, as it were, studied with Ford Mallocks Brown, who was the 
uh, as it were, the artistic father of the Pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood. And he was a very supportive and mentor and friend for, throughout her life. And she was very, very attached and grateful to him. And so she felt, and she, she became part of the Pre-Raphaelite social circle through these connections. And I was just, just reminding me of, I really love as well, um, her artworks, her watercolours of Kelmscott Manor and the time she spent there with William and Jane Morris as well. It's lovely to see all those yeah, connections between, between the group. So Cathy, could you tell us about the process of how it's decided who gets a blue plaque? Um, how can people get involved in sending suggestions and what kind of criteria do you work to at English Heritage? Um, anyone can nominate a remarkable figure from the past. Um, to us. There are, however, a couple of key things to bear in mind for a suggestion to be eligible to be considered. Um, 20 years or more must have passed from date of death, that there is a surviving London building associated with them. And as part of the suggestion to us, they need to give an outline of why they believe the figure merits a plaque. Um, our webpage, the English Heritage Blue Plaques page, gives details on how to propose someone to us. There's a link to download the nomination form because there's always a form in life um, that you have to fill in. Um, and also the webpage gives you details where you can read about our selection criteria um, and understand um, what they need to put forward in the form to, to, to make it a good, strong suggestion. Once a suggestion is received to us, we check the details, biographical, um, the addresses to ensure that it's eligible. Mm. And then once we've done a short summary of um, all the, the form and the, the, the information, the figure is presented to a panel. Um, our advisory panel um, is made up of external professionals and academic experts in their field. So the panel consists of about 12 to 15 people and their specialism covers arts, literature, science, music, modern history. And the point being the panel then decide whether to approve the suggestion or turn it down. Um, we receive probably over 100 nominations a year and around 20% um, are approved that go on to the next stage. So the next stage, once they're approved, is we do full historical research, biographical. We look at all the London addresses and um, addresses outside London, but the main focus, because our plaques only go up in London, are the London addresses. And we recommend within the final research the best address to place the plaque and consider plaque inscription um, as part of the, of the process. Yes, and I've noticed as well, um, more recently, there's been a real in English heritage, there's been a real drive, which is wonderful to see kind of to ensure there's lots of diversity in the blue plaques that you have. I've seen that you're obviously wanting more women um, recommend uh, seen within the scheme and also people of colour. And I loved um, 
I think it was this uh, English origin British spy, Second World War. I think, is it Noor Inya Khan? Oh, I think yes. <laughs> I saw that she had a blue plaque, which is wonderful recently. So it's, um, yeah, so I'm guessing it's around diversity as well. It's kind of ensuring that all different kinds of Londoners are represented. Yes, it, it's it, it's important. I mean, because historically, because the scheme is, um, you know, been going for so many years, the people that are suggested, you can tell over 150 years how the nature of the suggestions change and the focus tends to change. Um, the balance of gender between male and female has has really up until about the 1980s when um, studies into women's history began to become much more public, much more recognition of um, bringing women out of the shadows. Um, and so really it's been quite recent um, that um, the balance between the number of plaques we put up each year can shift to a more even 50% women, 50% men. And we put up maybe between 10 to 12 plaques a year. So now we really do work hard to try and make sure that six are inscribed to women and six are inscribed to men. Oh, thank you. Um, and going back to a woman who's been given a plaque, Jan, um, can you tell us about a bit more about Moose Portales Stillman's artwork, um, some pieces that she's well known for, or if you have any favourites of hers? Well, Maurice Bartley Stillman was very, is a very interesting example of a woman artist who, who pursued a professional career, uh, which meant uh, regular production, regular exhibiting, annual exhibiting, sales and cultivation of the, of the clients and so on, but who kind of publicly was so self-effacing that practically no one in the 20th century remembered her as as, a, as an artist in her own right. And um, she, part of being an artist in the 19th century was self-promotion. And this was very difficult for a woman, a well-brought-up young woman like Maurice Bartley. So she kind of pretended to be an amateur or she presented as if she was, this was just something she did as it were, casually. But in fact, if you look at her career sustainably over five decades, she had paid attention to the market and moved her production or varied her production according to the things that would the things that would sell as well as the things that she wanted to paint. And her favorite um, subject, which was also for a long while a favorite of the clients was these pre-Raphaelite half-length female figures, usually surrounded by flowers with poetic titles. And the most striking of these is, in fact, her masterpiece, really, is called Love's Messenger. And it shows a lovely uh, woman in half-length half profile with a background a lake through the window and so on. And she's receiving a message or sending a message by a pigeon or a dove to someone outside. It's a very um, enigmatic uh, storyline. Very, very beautifully painted. So her, her stock in trade in some way were these beautiful maidens, very much 
as as pre-Raphaelitism is now defined, although that was not how it was seen in the beginning in the pre-Raphaelite brotherhood form. But nowadays, pre-Raphaelite usually means lovely ladies in surrounded by flowers with poetic titles. And Spartanly's work is is brilliant in that regard. They're not sexually alluring, but they're very visually attractive. Um, yes. But she did also, she also pursued the market for other, other genres. So she had a long career um, producing flower paintings, which were also very popular and still are, of course, very popular with artists who, who saw them, and landscapes too. So she had several strings to her bow. And the landscapes are interesting because they were mostly set in the Isle of Wight, where the Spartily family, who in London inhabited the shrubbery, this building where the blue plaque is, 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 is attached to, but they also had a holiday home, different holiday homes in the Isle of Wight. And there, that is where Marie usually painted landscapes. Um, landscapes of an English countryside with cottages and farms and rolling fields. And they were very popular with the clients. Mm. I love that you mentioned First Love's Messenger, Jan, because that's actually um, our avatar on our social media. We asked oh, yes. Ed <laughs> if we could borrow it, <laughs> if we could use <laughs> it on there, because it is a, yeah, it's a beautiful painting. And then um, just to mention as well about the Isle of Wight, we also talked about that on the Paraphalite Society social media, because there was a lovely watercolour that she did of the Isle of Wight that came up for sale at Bonhams very recently. And um, keeping my fingers crossed that it might end up in a public collection, although we don't know who's bought it. But yeah, they are incredible pieces. And yet, like you say, still incredibly popular. Um, and you just briefly mentioned the shrubbery there, um, Jan. I wanted to ask oh. a question for both of you. Can you tell us a bit about the research that you did into um, Marie's kind of homes around the UK and abroad and how you decided uh, the plaque should go here? Uh, that, I think I think that's Cathy's department. <laughs> How they find the exact the best houses or best buildings. It's not always easy to find the, the right place. The the research, the 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 final research, sometimes the addresses are easy and sometimes they're hard. Marie was born in Page Green in Hornsey, um, which was then in Middlesex, um, but nothing appears to survive from the area where um, um, she was born um, as an original building. Um, the, her next childhood home was in Euston Square, which is also gone. Um, the shrubbery, um, which she uh, moved into with her family, her father bought it in 1864, um, was um, the home which was the clear choice actually to put the plaque. Um, it was the family home from 1864, from when she was 20, um, to when her father sold it in 1885. And across that period of time, it was significant in her life um, from the point of view of two important aspects, I think, that you would think of her. Firstly, as a young woman, when she caught the eye of the pre-Raphaelite artists and was painted as a model by Byrne Jones, Dante, Gabriel Rossetti, 
it was where she began her artistic studies um, to become, as Jan says, a professional artist, although she didn't claim herself as a professional artist. Um, and it's where she established her reputation. It's where she painted. Um, on her marriage, she lived um, with her husband, William Stillman, very nearby in Ortenburg Gardens. That house does survive, but she and um, um, her family um, with William's children only really lived there for two years. And so therefore, again, the shrubbery from length of significance was really important. And, yeah. and 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 when she, and when she was when she was for long large parts of her career she was um, living and working in in Italy. Her husband was a foreign correspondent, and she would bring paintings back to the UK every spring for exhi exhi exhibition. And she would be based at the shrubbery shrubbery, so that if clients wished to wish to purchase anything from an exhibition, the address they would. Um, uh, they would write to would be at the shrubbery. So it remained uh, uh, Marie's base, I think, for several years of her, in her initial years as an exhibitor. Amazing. Thank you both. Um, actually, Jan, I was just wondering, does, where she stayed in the Isle of Wight, does that still exist? Do we know if that building's still there? Well, there are several spots, several, um, Marie's um, connection with the Isle of Wight is quite, was quite deep. Um, her first um, contact with the art world was actually as uh, a photographic model, not exactly as a photographic model, but for, for mod modelling for photographs by the celebrated artist Julia Margaret Cameron, who lived at Freshwater in the Isle of Wight. And I think to some extent offered Marie a model of, a, of, a, of a, an established female artists who married with a family and so on who carried on her career. So the first works, artworks for which Marie posed were in fact photographs by Julia Margaret Cameron. And then the the family the when this when Marie's parents retired to the Isle of Wight, they established house not dissimilar to not dissimilar, big villa not dissimilar to the shrubbery and um, became kind of quite pillars of the community and they are both buried um, in, on the Isle of Wight. And um, I think their house there probably deserves a blue plaque. And um, can I ask uh, where in uh, London, Cathy, is the shrubbery? So if, when once this plaque is there, if people want to go on a pilgrimage to find it, um, where kind of roughly is it? Yeah, it's in um, the actual address. Um, to Lavender um, is um, in Battersea. Mm -hmm. um, but probably if you were going by public transport, you'd end up going to Clapham Station and walking across the north part of the common to find it. The house itself sits at um, right angles to the street. And we always place the plaque on a position on the building facade where the passerby can read it and see it from the pavement. So the plaque itself will be very visible from, from the street. So you can stand and see it for yourself. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. 
Um, and talking about uh, blue plaques in London, Cathy, can you tell us any about other pre-Raphaelite artists or models, blue plaques that the listeners can look out for in London? Um, yeah, sure. The crucial meeting of the Brotherhood, at which they drew up their manifesto in 1848, is marked with a plaque at what was then the Millet family home in Gower Street. Um, the leading pre-Raphaelites, John Everett Millet is named on two plaques. William Holman Hunt has one. Um, Dante Gabriel Rossetti is actually named on three. Um, he's got one on his own in Westminster, another one with Edward Byrne Jones and William Morris in Red Line Square. Um, and there's one also um, with Swinburne in Cheney Walk where he lived from 1862 after the death of Elizabeth Saddell. And he lived there until 1882, um, until shortly before his death. So there's, there is actually lots to see, but they're kind of spread apart. So if you were going to try and do a pre-Raphaelite trail, <laughs> you've got to be prepared to walk across a, a lot of London to see them. And um, Jan, how did you um, come to be involved in this um, blue plaque scheme for Maurice Bartali Stillman? Mm, yeah, good question. I'm, but I've been promoting Maurice Bartali Stillman as an artist for several years now um, because she's one of those artists that um, whose work vanished from view essentially, and and it was quite it was quite extraordinary. Uh, when one starts to research a particular artist, you begin by making a list of artworks, titles that you that are in public in public uh, sources and so on, and you expect mm, a few. You expect maybe twenty, but with Mary Spartany, the list went on and on and on up to the hundreds. So a very uh, sustained career, and that 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 stimulates one's interest and one wants to know more about how how her career developed, how she thought about it. And she was a very, very private person, so there's very few actual sources. She had, um, as Kathy said, she had two stepchildren, surviving stepchildren, and uh, three children of her own, one of whom died. So she had a, um, a domestic uh, in domestic response, big domestic responsibilities as well as her artwork, um, and um, is in a way a sort of model for for modern women how to combine both career and family together. Not not was very difficult in her case. The other thing we should talk about, as as um, Hannah mentioned, was her friendship with Jane Morris. After after. Jane Morris was widowed when William Morris died. Marie and Jane Morris formed a very strong friendship and which led to Marie spending regular holidays. Every year she would go and stay at Kelmscott Manor with, with, um, with Jane Morris for some weeks. And they had a happy, quite quiet time and Jane would be embroidering and Marie would be painting views of the manor and its surroundings. They were very popular with clients in the United States because, of course, I should also have said that 
Marie's husband was an American journalist who had uh, connections there. And their son, when uh, son Michael uh, qualified as an architect and, and, and eventually settled in the United States where he built his career. So Marie had a career both in Britain and in the United States and also in Italy because she was settled in, uh, she was living in Italy first in Florence and then in Rome over 20, 20 years, more than 20 years, and built up a, a, a network, an artistic network in Italy and exhibited there. So she had a very international career as well as a long lasting one. So, Jan, I know there's um, a large collection of her artworks in the Delaware Museum, really beautiful collection. And I was recently at Kelmscott and I saw there's a lovely artwork of hers, um, of Kelmscott, um, in the collection there. Where else can people find Marie's work? Is there so many Italian collections, do we know? We Public don't know. We, we haven't actually located any of the, um, of the works that are still in Italy at all. So that's a whole field of, of research to be done. Um, and in fact, one place you can see her artworks in Britain is at Wittick Manor, the National Trust yes. in uh, near Wolverhampton. And there, the, the owners of Wittick were bought from uh, bought bought works by Maurice Bartley, as well as things from the Morris family. So that's probably the best place to, to go and see. But no, they're all spread all around, and they still surface we know lots of titles but we don't know what we don't know we don't know where the artworks are but they do surface from time to regularly at, in the auction houses mm. so that's the other source it's an ongoing project really yes it wouldn't be uh, one of my episodes if we didn't bring up Wittig <laughs> thank <laughs> you so much Jack. yes it is um it's like you said it's really interesting actually to maybe um research more in Italy or kind of abroad where her artworks are, that's really exciting. And I think with this blue plaque, I mean, there's already a lot of interest in her work, but I think this will only heighten it, which is just wonderful to hear. And Kathy, can I ask you a bit more as well about um, the team that's been involved in this uh, commemoration, involved in the plaque? I think Jan, sorry, just to say to Jan as well, you mentioned that you, you're in contact with relatives of the um, Spartali Stillman family as well. So I'm just wondering how both of you, how the kind of, um, who's been involved, the wider involvement in this? Um, the, uh, yeah, a new blue plaque is the result of hard work by many people. It starts with us, with someone who is the proposer. Um, for Marie um, Spartelli-Stillman, the proposer who actually filled out the form to us was a resident of the shrubbery. Um, so they had been looking at the history of the house and because the interest in her work through exhibition, through publish, published material, allowed them to research and find out the delightfulness of her work, which in then in turn um, spurred them to suggest her to us. Um, once we get the suggestion, people like local archivists, local history groups, authors, biographers. They're, um, they're all important contacts for us in the research. And a key thing, um, once it, the process starts and the figure is approved, are the homeowners, because the homeowners have to give us consent 
to put the plaque up. And then there are the plaque makers, artisan potters. Each plaque is obviously unique in its lettering. Um, they're handmade glazes, fired twice. They're beautiful objects, actually, in their own right. And because English Heritage is a charity, um, the blue plaque scheme is supported by donations. So without the donors who give so generously um, and whose contributions are, are for us, they're, they're vital for the scheme to continue. So it's a, a lovely big network of people to, that results in, in one plaque. Amazing. Thank you, Cathy. And yeah, Jan, you, um, you've mentioned before about um, also talking to descendants of uh, the, the Stillman family. It must be wonderful for them to be involved too, in some way. Yeah, no, never, never, yes, because Marie had um, uh, a son who emigrated to the United States and had a load of descendants from, from, from his branch of the family, and they're all very keen supporters. They have several, they have several, between them, they have several of her, of her paintings, and they are uh, very eager to learn more about and contribute more. So that's a really nice thing. They came, they came, the American relations, descendants, I mean, the American descendants came to the Pre-Raphaelite um, Sisters exhibition, and I hope they will come back and see the blue plaque in Duke, not you know whenever they're next in Britain, but also through uh, Marie's uh, daughter Effie, who was a Stillman. I mean, they're all called Stillman because that was her married name and that's the name of her children. Um, so there's a, a, um, a Stillman branch now, now mostly called Richie, which is this, her daughter's married name. In, in in London and Britain, and um, so there's there's a, there's a whole there's a network of of um, relatives, descendants, connections with the, with the, with the artist, which is very nice to see and learn more about what they what they have been told and learned and have researched in their own right with the, with the, with their famous ancestor. Well. The ancestor who is about to come more famous. So it's a very nice thing that the blue plaque is bringing Marie Bartley Stillman into focus much more publicly than she has been hitherto. Yes, and it's so wonderful to it's a community effort to hear Kathy that it was initially a resident of the building who was just taking a real interest in where they live and that kind of pride of place and to suggest it and then to hear about kind of the wider involvement with English heritage and the people involved there and then um, in the in her family as well. It's fascinating. And I hadn't actually thought, Cathy, you bringing up about the actual blue plaque itself being a work of art. I tend to think about them just as, you know, really useful um, signs of where people lived. And But actually, when you talked about them as, you know, these beautiful ceramic pieces in their own right, that's not something I'd thought about before. So thank you. I wonder, going back to the, the uh, residents of the shrubbery, I wonder if the people who proposed were the same couple that I met on the doorstep uh, when I first went to check out the shrubberies many years ago now, find out where it was and where it was. And of course, it's not it's 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 um, it's on the street, but it's not um, the, the the gate between you and 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 the house. And I hung around for a while, 
um, and this uh, couple who lived there came came along and asked what I was why I was looking so nosily into their property. <laughs> and it's a beautiful building. It's been divided up into into flats. And this very nice couple, who are maybe the same ones, um, invited me into the entrance hall, where you can see very nice the very nice Regency entrance hall stairway and um, bow windows, bay windows of the, of the building. So, and it's really in a very nice condition now. So, um, I, I was very grateful to them. If it wasn't them, it would be their neighbours. So, thank you. Jan, I'm just imagining you in a deer stalker, kind of wandering around London doing detective work to find buildings. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, Jan, are there any more that you've got, um, any kind of other blue plaque graphite suggestions that you're thinking about that you know of that would be great to have? No, but I'll, I'll, I'll keep you in mind, Cathy. <laughs> yeah, no, please do. <laughs> oh, um, so thank you so much. Oh, before we go, Cathy or Jan, is there anything else you wanted to talk about that I haven't touched on yet? Anything else you wanted to mention? Um, I think, you know, thank you, Hannah, for inviting me um, to be part of your podcast series. I mean, I do hope people are inspired to nominate a figure to us. We celebrate people from all fields of achievement, Nobel Prize winners, sporting greats, stars from film and television, authors, scientists. So the field is completely um, open. The point being, we have so much to thank the figures for no you know no matter what they did the point is they made a legacy for us um in their field of achievement and in marie's side it's beautiful things to see beautiful paintings yes and thank you so much i think the scheme is so important it's really wonderful to have these and really beautiful markers around the city to learn a bit more about, like you said, the diversity of people from all different centuries, from all different backgrounds, all different careers and aspirations. And to kind of just, yeah, as you're walking past, learn a bit more about each of them and kind of know um, who's stood in the same place as you. So it's just so important. And thank you both. Thank you so much, Cathy, for coming and explaining a bit more about the blue plaque scheme and about this incredible, lovely celebratory new plaque that's going to be going up um, very soon. Uh, thank you so much to Jan as well for telling us a bit more about who Marie Spotelli Stillman is um, and her artwork. Um, and yeah, and it's been Hannah Squire today interviewing. Um, I'm de definitely going to go away and have a think about what are the blue plaques I could suggest in London. Um, so thank you both so much. It's just another really interesting part of our history and a really interesting part of the group. And I suppose it being outside of museums as well, it's something that anyone kind of passes on a daily on a daily basis so for people who maybe are because sometimes maybe feel a bit intimidated by museums it's a great way to kind of learn a bit of history um just in your every day-to-day -day life as you're walking around the city so yeah thank you both so much for joining us for this podcast episode today thank you thank you my pleasure